Hello everyone, uh, it's today some of us thought would never come. So excited to be back for this second season of Fantasy Championship Manager. Um, can't wait for this carnage to commence again, it's been a quite a few months without it. FPL kind of works, but this is a whole new, whole different kettle of fish I should say. We've obviously now had some prices live since the weekend for the new season. Uh, a few videos have started to uh, to pop up and I'm sure now some of you are already through multiple first drafts of your teams. I've probably done a handful already. Um, I thought I would try to help out as well by coming up with a few pieces of advice that I decided to take notice of during the first season of this game. Um, my rank definitely improved sort of past the midway point I played a while, after I played my sort of mid-season wildcard. Uh, I noticed I had quite a few good weeks in a row and really climbed the ranks. Uh, if I'd have known then, what I, uh, if I'd have known at the start what I knew then, I think I could have finished probably top 20, top 30. So that's the, the aim for this year. Um, so uh, hopefully this video will be different enough. It's a, it's a tips and advice video, really. There's been a few of those around. Some of this stuff might be repeated from other videos you've seen. I'm, I'll try and keep it as different as I can and maybe go a bit deeper than some others may have gone. Um, but um, in no particular order, I'll just ramble through some of these notes I've written down and we'll see where it takes us. So my first thing to, to point out is not to underestimate bonus points and save points, mainly from goalkeepers. So if you look at the first season, um, Fabian Bartes was top, uh, well, joint top for clean sheets. He kept 16 clean sheets last year. But despite that, there were six other goalkeepers that got more points than him. Um, and if you ranked goalkeepers in terms of points per million last year, or was he? He was six million, I think. He was 14th on that list, Bartes. So as an example, some other goalkeepers, Shea Given at Newcastle kept nine clean sheets, so seven less, but he got nine more points overall. And Mark Poom only got six clean sheets, which is ten less than Bartes, and he only got six fewer points. So that shows how clean sheets are obviously good, but the bonus and the save points can be equally if not better so um sticking to the sort of cheaper goalkeepers might be the best strategy last year it was the five million goalkeepers that arguably excelled the most the likes of nigel martin david seaman um there's quite a lot of goalkeepers all the all the mid-level goalkeepers now are really five million there are a few at 4.5 knocking around who could do quite well paul robinson's probably the one to highlight the most at leeds if um there was a feeling at the start of the first year that he might be the first choice and not Martin. Obviously, Martin did end up being first choice, but I wouldn't be surprised if Robinson took over now. Um, so he's an interesting one at 4.5, certainly to maybe consider getting in once we know that information. We won't know until maybe game week two or three if he's nailed on to be first choice, which is a little bit annoying. We don't want to be making the transfer on a on a goalkeeper that early, but it may be necessary. Um, Mark Poom has also been dropped to 4.5 at Derby this year and only Edwin van der Sar at Fulham got more bonus than Poom last year so he's another one to sort of bear in mind in the 4.5 region um, second point is not to get swayed too much by how good or bad players are in real life so I think anyone that played the game first you'll know about Herman Horidison, um, how well he did um, but in real life did you know that he was relegated from the Premier League five times. And that's a Premier League record that he shares with Nathan Blake, who was a Welsh striker. He was also relegated with every Premier League club he ever played for, which included Ipswich. So um, based on his real life, um, it's not it's not necessarily a, a dig at him in terms of how good he was as an individual, but he obviously um, wasn't the best footballer, shall we say, if he was relegated at five different clubs. 
But obviously on this game, he was a bit of a beast last year and has gone up to six million as a result. So it makes him harder to pick this year. But there'll be other players in the 4.5 bracket this year who's capable of replicating Horidison. And so, yeah, it, it might be someone that you've arguably never heard of or certainly didn't have the the, uh, the best memories of, shall we say, as a professional footballer. So just bear that in mind. Um, just some more stats on Horidison from last year. So he got 155 points. Um, only Fester got more among defenders and he took penalties. So um, he got, uh, this is Horidison, got 14 more bonus points than any other defender. And one of the key sort of criteria towards that was the fact he was in the top three for defenders for winning key headers and in the top six for winning key tackles. And those two sort of um, statistics are quite important for bonus. So again, it's sourcing those defenders that can win the key headers and win the key tackles that are probably good to focus on. Unsurprisingly, um, central defenders are arguably best for this. So the top nine defenders for points last year were all centre-backs, although it's probably worth pointing out some of those did play some minutes at full-back. So Fester, for example, started off the season at least as a left-back. Melberg was in there from Villa. He alternated between centre-back and right-back. And even Jerry Taggart at Leicester had a few games at left-back. But on the whole, um, centre-backs that win key headers and key tackles are really good. And it say it might not be players that are good or bad in real life. On the flip side of that, um, sort of likes of Frank Lampard I've seen in quite a few draft teams. Um, I think it could be a decent pick at 7 million. Um, I think that's probably better. But I don't know if the people that are picking him are doing so because of what Frank Lampard was like in real life. Obviously, for Chelsea, he was quite consistent for sort of 10-15 goals a season if not more um, chipped in with assists and if you could get a 7 million player on this game that was getting that goal return that would be uh, that would be gold but you shouldn't expect that from Lampard on this game that's not what he tends to do Gerrard's a little bit different he's 6.5 and he probably can justify that price tag but again you're not buying the Gerrard of real life that will score a load of long range goals and probably get man in the match quite a lot which he probably would have done in real life if we were giving points out for that. So just um, there'll be others like it as well. Um, so yeah, j- just to reiterate, it's don't use the real life capabilities of these players as any sort of gauge on how good they are in this game. Um, next point, we'll move on to team reputation. Um, but where the rep twelve is what I've got written down. Um, anyone that played last year will know that rotation was rife when a team was playing against opposition who uh, had a game reputation of uh, 12. Um, how it works is the the AI managers have to try and pick games to sort of rotate their squad. Um, and they do this by looking at the, the reputation of the opposition. And when they're playing, especially at home, when they're playing at home to a team with a lower reputation, that's when the AI decides that it could afford to rotate players doesn't really take any other factors into it than that. So, for example, Liverpool last year had a double header against two Rep 12 teams. The AI decided that in both the games wanted to rest a central defender, amongst other positions, but will focus on the central defender. Hippier and Honcho were the two central defenders. So if this was a real-life scenario, you'd think, OK, the two games in three days, if I want to rest the defender in both, I'll rest one defender in one game and the other defender in the other game. Uh, that's not how this game works. So Sammy Hoopier ended up missing both of them and Honcho ended up playing both of them. Um, Harry Kuehl was another one last year that missed quite a lot of games. The Leeds um, AI manager obviously decided that left midfield was going to be the position, uh, position he wanted to rotate the most. 
against lower-ranked teams. And there was even a week when Thierry Henry, I think, was the most selected captain amongst the community, and then he got rested. So it's quite easy on this game to think, oh, I've got a Manchester United player, an Arsenal player, a Leeds player. Oh, they've got a really good home fixture this week against a team that's considered quite weak. That would also be the game where the most rotation is likely, not guaranteed, but most likely. So just something to be aware of. Um, I think... Luke put a video out earlier this week that showed the reputation of opposition. So we've actually got a Rep 11 team in the game this year in Manchester City. So literally anyone, any other team could decide now in a home game against Man City to rotate. Even the weaker teams like Derby or um, anyone else who's Rep 12, I can't think of who they are, Middlesbrough maybe. They could even, they don't get obviously many opportunities to rotate against weaker teams, but they could this year win at home to Manchester City. So that's an interesting game to to focus on when a team's got them. Um, and following on from this a little bit is the, the need to have a playing bench on this game to sort of help cover these eventualities when this happens because it's not impossible. You could have four or five players rested or rotated, I should say, in the same fixture. I think we all know this kind of game's full of carnage and I'm just picturing a game week now where, say, Arsenal have got Cholton at home, Manchester United have got Millwall at home and Leeds have got Man City at home. And everyone's going to be rubbing their hands and thinking of what sort of superstar teams they'll try and wildcard to that week or free hitting that week to get the most premium players in. And then they all get rotated together. Um, So it is important in this game to have a playing bench. Um, Where possible, I think I would aim to try and get players in from low reputation teams who can play in multiple positions. Um, I think they're less likely to get rotated. So... Johnson at Middlesbrough last year was a prime example, could play on both wings and in central midfield for Middlesbrough. So if the manager did decide that he wants to rotate a right midfield position, he would also be in the record in to play in one of the other two positions. So he's got more chance of getting selected. So the likes of him, Salakovic at Tottenham barely missed the game last year because he's very versatile. Um, I'm trying to, I don't know if there's any definite starters this year who fit so many. I think Luke was saying in one of his other videos that I think Leicester have got a new centre mid with a, a Greek fella who can play in numerous positions. Oh, it's not Leicester, so it's Everton, I think he said. They've got um, Georgiatis or something that can play in numerous positions. He might be handy as a bench player just because of his flexibility. Um, Stephen Reid at Millwall, so he plays defender, midfield, forward, right, left, centre. So he can is in the, in the running to play in every position on the pitch apart from in goal for Millwall. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be first choice, so that makes him harder because you want a first choice player that can be rotated. But just just a thing to consider when you're looking at your squads to try and, if you've got, if there's three 4.5 defenders for the same team, the one that maybe could play um, in all three defensive positions if there is one. I know Sylvester at Man United can play left or centre-back. Um Gary Neville could play right or centre-back at both probably better options than Rocco Jr. just because they've got the chance to play in two different positions, for example. So, um, yeah, just something to consider there to have a playing bench and then to try and pick players that are more flexible in terms of how many positions they can play in. Again, following on from that a little bit is to be aware of manager tactics and style. I think Blackburn and Ipswich are probably the two biggest teams to focus on with this. Um Graham Soonest last year at Blackburn had about five different formations he rolled out. They were all completely different. Um, it m- might be a good example to use Damien Duff in this, in the Blackburn case. We've got like a 4-2-4 um, where the wingers are playing almost as, as strikers and Duff is the preferred left-sided player in that formation. 
Um, he's got a four-five-one where Duff would play on the halfway line on the left, but not run anywhere. Um, there's a three-five-two where he they play. It's kind of the same. The midfielder just stays on the on the halfway line on the wing. There's more like a three-five-two wing backs where again and then Duff is sort of in competition with Graham Lasso to start, and then there's a three-four-one-two. Um, it's just really tricky with Blackburn to pick players that are adaptable in all of the formations. So say the the three at the back ones, they might they only need an extra centre back. Graham Lasso is probably a good example as well that if they play four at the back, he's now to play left back. But if they play wing backs or three five two, then he won't get in. Um, it's the same down the right with John Curtis. He if they play three at the back, he'll probably be competing with Henningberg for the third centre back. If they play four at the back, he'll probably be first choice right back. Um, so he's not guaranteed to start. So. It's just certain players in certain teams. Like, there was just uh, one more is probably Ipswich, who go from sort of a normal three-five-two with three central midfielders to like a five-three-two, but a five-three-two only has one central midfielder, and that tends to be always Matt Holland. So any other central midfielder for Ipswich is almost impossible to pick because if they roll out the five-three-two, they won't play. Um, what if maybe if one of them, a Jermaine Wright or someone who could also play right midfield, he could end up in the five-three-two down the down the right midfield. So yeah, just something to bear in mind. We saw it last year a little bit with Chelsea, where Babiaro and Zenden, for example, down the left under Claudio Ranieri, barely played a minute at the first half of the year in wing-back formation. Then Graham Ricks came in as manager and it went 4-4-2 and those two then played every game. So I'd expect those two to pretty much carry on playing every game now. The interesting team for this, probably mainly this year, is Leeds, um, who have replaced David O'Leary as manager with Martin O'Neill and that's a change from a 4-4-2 manager to a 3-5-2 manager. So we don't quite know how it's going to work with them. We're going to have to play three centre-backs now instead of two. Where's Harry Kuehl going to play? Um, also, you've got the, the issue, I wouldn't say an issue, but you've got decisions to make with Viduka that um, he excelled last year in a 4-4-2 direct uh, style. Now he's going to be playing a 3-5-2 where... The wing backs won't be getting as high up the pitch there. So when they played four four two, the arrows of the wingers went right up to the touchline. The three five two, the arrows of the wing backs don't go that high. So technically, then they'll be crossing from deeper positions. Leads. We don't quite know the impact that will have on how successful Viduka is, um, and I'm not too sure if the new manager plays with a direct style or a passing style. And Viduka's obviously got attributes that are good for bullying defenders. Probably well suited to a direct style. So I, I, I wouldn't guarantee, as of what we know right now, that he's going to be as good as last year. I'm sure he'll still get a lot of bonus and he'll still score goals. But with, um, as I say, with crosses coming in from deeper positions and a team maybe not being as direct, potentially that might not have the same impact as last year. So just something to bear in mind. Um, next point is to watch out for newly signed players and the probable rep increase that they have. So how, how this game seems to work is when a player transfers between clubs their sort of personal reputation for want of a better phrase gets a, a, a positive bump because of that and that could be enough then to give them a start so I want to use Middlesbrough as an example for this so last year the team was re- really good at the first half of last year we were playing Fester at left back Gordon left midfield Johnson right midfield that was and those players can all play in different positions but that was the style that was was settled Hugo Ekiog then left at centre-back and the sort of result of that was that Fester then moved into centre-back with Southgate. Gordon came back to left midfield and then Johnson sometimes ended up left midfield um, 
and a new right midfielder was brought in. There's two sort of signings now that Middlesbrough have made, which make this quite interesting. So Zepeda, who I think is a South American player that plays on the on the right of midfield, has come in, and Peter Atherton's come in in defence, who plays right back or centre back, I think. Now we don't know yet if they've got enough of a reputation increase personally to get them into the first team, but if they have, then say could, we, we, we we don't really know what that's going to mean for for Gordon for Johnson. And for Fester, so for example, Johnson could just move into central midfield. Zeppeler plays right, Gordon stays left and Fester stays left back. In which case, Gordon might be out of position again. So I think his defender in the game this year could end up playing left midfield. Equally, Johnson could just go to left midfield and then Gordon could be left back, Fester centre back, Atherton right back. Or you could end up with Gordon even getting dropped and Johnson left midfield, Fester... Um, left back and Atherton centre back with Southgate. So Middlesbrough a bit. I think Fester will definitely play somewhere, but we don't know if he'll be left back or centre back. Centre back might actually be better for him for for more bonus. Um, if he plays centre back, won't it obviously impact his penalty output or anything? Johnson, I think, will start somewhere. It, the interesting one's Gordon. I think with Middlesbrough because say I think he he could end up starting left midfield. He could end up starting left back. He could end up being a sub. So I'd be a bit wary about him to start with, but he could end up very quickly being a useful out-of-position defender. Um, next point is the big getting the uh, superstar players in on the uh, on the big money is all well and good, but I think it's the important thing at the start is to sort of nail the cheap players if you can, so you're not wasting transfers on them. Um, probably more so than FPL, you'll need your 4.5 million midfielders if you if you're gonna pick a formation that needs them. It's highly likely I could end up with three in my team. because um, I prefer to play the five two three formation now, so I might just end up with three bench four point five midfielders um who are, are flexible and can come in if none of my starters play. Um I don't know about that yet because it limits my flexibility but well, that's a chat for another day. But um you, you you don't want to be using your transfers up, rotating around 4.5 defenders each week. It's, it's, I think de- defenders especially, I think it's good to try and pick five and just stick with them for until you play your wild card. So pick five you know are going to play, are reliable in terms of bonus, and within reason you're kind of prepared to play against anyone. Um, you could argue that maybe your most premium defender, you, you could rotate for runs of games. So I've, I was looking at Leeds and... For example, I, I wasn't expecting to have Ian Hart in my first draft, and I've just seen they've got Millwall at home in game week two. And it's a week where Arsenal and Liverpool now aren't playing. So um, I think he's quite... I was, I was going to start with Honcho as my expensive defender, but now I might have to move to Hart to make sure I've got a, a game in week two, and I may then carry Hart through to like week five or six or something. I haven't worked it out yet. But... Um, you're using your transfer on your expensive defenders, fine, but you really don't want to be using transfers on 4.5 defenders and you don't really want to be taking hits in this game all in. If you can help it, I don't think, I don't think it, I think it, those cost, those points that you lose are, are quite costly. Um, so, yeah, the point is you, you really want to be using your transfers each week on your premium strikers, I would say, to try and get the striker in with the best fixture for each week that can is most likely to guarantee goals and with that bonus. So where you can, if you can get six or seven of your cheaper squad players all set from week one, you're in a, you're in a massively better position than if you're trying to put out fires with them um, two or three weeks in. And then the last point for this is to try and identify penalty takers. Probably um, 
pretty pretty basic point now based on especially our FPL is going with penalties every week. But in this game especially, there's quite a lot of defenders that seem to get on penalties. So Fester was the highest, mentioned already, the highest point scoring defender last year. He took penalties. There's times when Sammy Hippier takes them at Liverpool. I've seen Sol Campbell take them at Arsenal. Um, and there'll be others as well. So actually, I think it's probably more defenders on this game that take penalties than strikers. Unbelievably, last year, Alan Shearer lost penalties at Newcastle to Steve Chettle, which is baffling, isn't it? But um, yeah, so... In one way, strikers that take penalties could be gold. I think Kevin Phillips, one of his main things last year, was he was one of the only strikers that took penalties. Um, so he's quite help, useful for that. And I say defenders, if you've got a defender that can get... Like Hippie is probably quite a good example for this. He's probably one of the best defensive teams in the league. He's capable of getting bonus points and he could be on penalties. It's like a dream scenario for a defender. So I'm guessing he's probably not been that highly thought of this year at 6.5, but... If he does get penalties over Owen, um, then he, he could be the highest scoring defender in the whole game this year. So just something to bear in mind there to try and work out early who the penalty takers are going to be, especially those that play um, in defence, because it's another path to, to big points. Um, I'll try and do a few more videos over before the game launches. Probably look at some price points, I think, and maybe some just general positions in clubs. But um, hopefully this will, will help in some way before you um, settle, on your first, um, settle on your teams for the first uh, week of the season. Cheers, guys.